Episode 3 of the RC Plane Lab Podcast. I'm Ron. I'm Tom. Um, today we're going to be talking about pre-flight checks. So very, before, very important subject. Very important. Before you take off, you need to do some checks on your airplane. That's right. Uh, actually, before we talk about that, though, have you had any time to work on anything since last we spoke? Uh, well, not at home. Um, we did do a little bit of work here in, in the uh, RC Plane Lab dungeon, if you will. Uh, almost got the stick recovered. Looks like we're about to ready to do some installation of the senior telemaster as well. So, yeah, yeah some good progress. We're getting close on that too. I've got some servos put in, the engines mounted, uh, a little bit more. Uh, the graphics are done, so yeah, yeah it's looking good. We're, we're we're getting toward the end of it. Yeah, we'll have to post some pictures. Yeah, and then after we're done with this, we'll move on to another plane. Yep, something next. Yep, there's a, there's always another project. Yeah, actually, before we get started, okay. Um, so, also this week, I decided to get out a couple, I know it's we're not supposed to talk about them, but I have some quadcopters also. You can I, talk about them. Well, I learned a very important lesson. So, I have, I think, 500 mAh one-cell LiPo batteries, and then I have a couple 250 mAh um, one-cell LiPo batteries that are for, uh, for actually for an airplane, mm -hmm. a small one. But... I have a charger that goes on to a computer, and I thought, you know what? I'm just going to charge them all together and be done. It's a five-port charger. Right. It's the same uh, same connector on the end of everything. Didn't think anything about it. Threw the, charger, threw the batteries on the charger, and I walked away. Uh-oh. I don't like where this story's going. So my daughter is actually playing in the, in the living room where the computer was, and all of a sudden I started to smell smoke. Oh, no. Well, of course, I got scared, so I ran sure. in there, and I thought, you know, I forgot that I was charging a battery, and all of a sudden, you smell smoke, and you're like, it's a, a burning smell. Yeah. Well, so I, I got in there, and I told Piper, I said, let's go. By the way, my daughter's name is Piper. I uh, <laughs> <laughs> don't know why. And huh? cute as a button. Thank you very much. Um, but anyway, so we got out of the room and stuff, and then I, I looked over there by the computer. There was a nice column of smoke oh, coming geez. up, going uh, up to the ceiling. That's not good. So I, you know, I got her safely out of the way, and I went back in there. Yeah. So the battery charger was melting. I mean, it oh, was the charger. The charger itself was melting. Yeah, I thought it was a battery at first too. When I when I saw the smoke coming from there, that would have been the charger. my guess. So when I went, I get you know unplugged it, put it out in the garage, and and got it cooled down. I had no idea that the batteries would be wired backwards. The two hundred fifty milliamp hour battery was reversed from the 500 milliamp hour battery on which uh, pull, I guess, which which wire was was hot and which was mm. black. So be very careful. That's Because apparently bizarre. they're not all wired the same way. Yeah, same connectors. Same connectors. Mm -hmm. But just wired differently. Wired differently. 
And okay, that's kind of scary. I know. So be very careful when you're charging yeah. your batteries like that. You know, I've I've never dealt with a lot of those small ones uh, yeah, for for multiple planes, drones, sure. whatever. Um, but yeah, that was a, a major learning experience for me. I was very surprised by that. Yeah, I, I would have been too. Well, and it's not like I wired anything backwards. You right. know, this, that's I've how they came flown, out of the package. You know, I've had the batteries for probably two or three years, just never charge them on a different charger than what came with it. Yeah. And this time I thought, well, instead of having two different battery chargers plugged into the sure. same computer, use the same charger. And well, you, you can't do that. I mean, I think we would all kind of assume assume right that if it's got the same connector, well, it's probably wired the same as every other battery that uses that connector. Yeah, man, that's bizarre. Very. So it's a very good lesson. Yeah. Um, yeah. Check. Luckily, check the nothing. Of nothing bad happened. So. Wow. Well, it's a good it's thing a, you caught it yeah, early too. A lesson learned. Yeah. yeah, could you imagine? I mean, it was sitting right next to your computer too. Yeah, in a living room on you know carpet on a wooden desk and good grief, could have yeah. been bad. That's uh, yeah, that's a good lesson. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, from now on, folks, um, if you're charging multiple batteries on a charger that uh, maybe didn't come with come that with battery, it, yeah, double check the the polarity, make sure that uh, it's charging correctly. Yeah, and the polarity is correct. Yeah, that's scary. Yeah, I just wanted to bring that up. And lipo that, batteries kind of scare me anyway. I yeah, you've heard all. I mean, they're really, really safe nowadays, folks. But when lipos first came out, I was around when they first came out, <laughs> and uh, yeah, they were very, very volatile. You know, yeah, early they still on. are. But I think a lot has to do with how you treat them. Well, right, and the safeties that are built into the into into electronics these days are the a lot charger, better. Yeah, the chargers and the cutoffs on the speed controllers and things like that. But yeah, which surprised me because on most of the chargers I have for the bigger ones, you know, they will tell you if it's right. reverse polarity. Yeah, and this one didn't. It just went straight just through and went on. Yeah, I charged. wonder. Were the, I wonder if the batteries weren't registering any voltage when you plugged them in. No, they were. They were not dead. Dead. Really? Because wow. I had used them. Yeah. So. Huh. Yeah. So needless to say, you're looking for a new charger. <laughs> new charger and uh, at least and one batteries. new battery. Right, right. <laughs> but yeah, so like I said, I just wanted to bring that up. And, yeah, that's you know, uh, that's a very a good to bring that to light because uh, I would have just assumed yeah. that they were all, you know, if they use the same connector, they're wired the same, but uh, apparently they're not. So let that be a lesson to all of you. Yeah, like I said, even the chargers, though, were backwards. Yeah. Because it's that it was so how it Different was. manufacturers? Different manufacturers, yeah. yeah. Yeah, and on those smaller batteries, I mean, who changes the connectors on those? I mean, like yeah. on the bigger batteries, I'll put, you know, a Dean's connector on it or, or whatever. XT60 is what and I use most of the yeah, time. Or, yeah. yeah, or whatever. And, you know, if you're soldering them on there, you tend to do everything the same, so it's compatible with your chargers. and. Well, and the XT60 and... actually also or tells you on the connector itself, positive right. or negative. Right, So you don't That's make that mistake. are too, but yeah. Um, but yeah, those little tiny batteries, I mean, nobody... I mean, I don't know anybody that changes the connection. No, you, you buy them and they only plug into one thing most of the time. So, yeah, I was very surprised by that. Yeah. So be careful and check before you charge. Yep. Anyway, moving on, pre-flight checks. Yeah, pre-flight. So pretty important uh, subject, something you should do before every flight. Every flight. Yeah, it's just, uh, I mean, basically a, a pre-flight, no matter what type of airplane you're talking about, nitro, gas, electric, uh, its function is the same for all of those. And it's basically just a quick once-over. doesn't have to be really, really involved, but making sure that the control surfaces are doing what you're commanding them to do. Uh, and that's essentially what it is. Okay, um, so let's go through what do you do when you go to the field. So for me, mm-hmm. uh, once, you know, we're assuming, you know, you've already done all the all the other stuff that uh, we'll cover later. Um, 
Yeah, the yearly, right. like once a year checks right. and stuff. But, uh, but but basically, you're you're ready to ready to put the airplane on the ground and take off and fly. So this is what I do. Okay, I start with the ailerons. Um, actually, I take that back. I actually start with the elevator. And as everyone, maybe not everyone knows, but most people know, you know, you pull back on the transmitter to go up mm -hmm. uh, with the airplane. So what I do is I, as I'm pulling the elevator stick back, I'm looking at the elevator and it should rise up to meet me. Um, so you pull back on the stick and the elevator kind of rises up to meet it as you're watching it. And then just the opposite, you push the stick forward and the elevator goes down. Um, that's number one. That's where I start because that to me, the elevator is the number one channel. It's like the number one, most important, you know, without an elevator, you know, you can't really do anything about trying to climb and your attitude in the air. Yeah. yeah. So that's the first one. Then I move on to the, excuse me, to the ailerons, which is on the same stick here in America. Um, so same kind of thing. I'm, I'm just looking at the airplane as I'm moving the stick. So if I move the aileron stick to the right, uh, as I'm looking at the airplane as if I was sitting in the cockpit, um, you know, looking forward out the nose, I would look at the right aileron. And as I move the stick to the right, the right aileron should rise up to meet me, you know, or my thumb, give my thumb a high five, whatever you want to call it. And the left aileron should obviously be moving in the opposite direction. And then vice versa when I move the stick to the left. All right, next. Yeah, so then moving on, I uh, move over to the left stick uh, with a rudder. And as I'm, once again, you know, looking at the down at the airplane as if I was sitting in the cockpit, move the rudder stick to the left. And as I'm watching the airplane, the trailing edge of the rudder should move, also move towards the left. Um, and vice versa, move the stick to the right, the trailing edge of the rudder should move to the right. And then last is the throttle. A couple of different ways you can do that with an electric. Um, probably you've already got the programming set up so that forward is forward and back is brake. Or if you have one of those cool airplanes that'll do reverse, it'll, you know, do reverse or whatever. Mm -hmm. um, I recommend doing that with a prop off, at yeah. least initially for the first programming. Uh, that gets to into some other stuff we're going to talk about later. But on a nitro airplane or a gas airplane, you can do it with the engine not running, especially right. if you can see the carburetor. You know, obviously you push the stick forward, gives a gas, it should be opening the throat of the carburetor. Okay. Yeah, so I'm a little bit different, but pretty much the same as what you do. Yeah. I do ailerons first because okay. I go by looking at the airplane. Sure. So I'll do the ailerons first, left, left up, right, right up, and then I go back to the elevator, pull back on that to make sure it goes up, and then I just do the rudder. Yeah. And then, you know, you do, if you're flying nitro, you'll do a run up on yep. your motor after right. it started on the ground. Yep. Uh, you'll do a run-up on that before you take off to make sure you, you clear it out and make sure you can get full throttle. Um, and then kind of the same thing with electric. I'll run that all the way up, too, just to make sure there's yeah. no... Well, and I have a timer set on my transmitter. Yeah. Uh, and transmitter. most transmitters these days are all programmable. So you can, like, for instance, on my old DX8, I have it so that it starts a timer when I hit full throttle the first time. And then when I pull it back, now I've got a timer. Because yeah. I, I kind of know kind of in advance of how much time I can get with each airplane that I fly. Yeah. So I set a countdown timer. And that's a good idea. That way you don't run out of battery when you're flying. Right, right. Yeah. So, And that's the same thing for electric. Run it all the way up to set my timer and kind of kills, you know, two birds with a stone, yeah. so to speak. And most of the time with electrics too, it won't arm until you go full throttle right. and then back down to nothing. Yep. Um, and that, yep. that's very handy too. Yeah, and then so once the pre-flight is over, you know, once everything... 
I've verified that everything's moving correctly and everything is uh, going the directions it should be going, um, you know, you're ready for takeoff. So next thing to do is check the runway, make sure the runway is clear. Nobody's on it, you know, retrieving an airplane or something like that. And then I'll kind of get a quick glance in the path that I'm going to take off, make sure there's no airplanes in my takeoff path and off we go. Yeah. Check the wind sock, see which way it's blowing and, yep. and yep. decide which way you're going to take off on the runway. Yeah. Right. But yeah. yeah take yep. off into the wind all the time. Yeah, it's amazing how many times I've seen people get that wrong. Yeah, I know. <laughs> With landing, too, and landing scares me more than taking off. Right, yeah. Because if you have a, a, a tailwind when you're landing, you're going to lose your lift, and it will just right. fall like a like a brick. Yep, and usually not, and not um, in a good way. Well, yeah, because when you're landing, you're already going slow. Slow, You have exactly. your throttle down. You right. know, you're you're getting ready to take the airspeed away. Right. So if there's a, a tailwind that hits fast, the airspeed just goes right. away. Usually, quickly. with with landing, you're decelerating, so you're you're already kind of, you know, losing momentum. At least with a takeoff downwind, you're you're accelerating. Hopefully, right. so you can you have that momentum that if you know you happen to get off the ground a little early, you know, you may have a little bit of extra time because you're already accelerating yeah and yeah. full throttle which helps a lot too when you need the extra right. power so yeah, it's already yeah exactly yep but yeah i mean that's pretty much uh that's pretty much how i accomplish a pre-flight and i do that every time i fly oh, like absolutely. every every time i take off it's a quick i mean once you've done it a few times i mean it, it's almost it becomes habit to me exactly yeah yeah actually i have a little uh a little checklist that I carry with me that's laminated, and nice. that way you can just check it just to make sure you don't oh, forget that's very anything. Handy. Yeah, um, so you don't miss anything. Right. Actually, I'll uh, I'll go ahead and post it on the website for uh, under this show, and if anybody wants to go download it, they can download it. And I would recommend um, laminating it mm-hmm. that way it doesn't get messed up. You know, it's it's three by five, four by six. Yeah, I don't remember how big it is. Just bigger. something sure. small. Uh, and just throw it in the into your your case with your transmitter. That way, you always have it, no matter what you're flying. And yeah. it's a very good a good tool to have with you. I, I I actually have a confession to make. I I don't do a pre flight every single time. I mean, I I try to, <laughs> okay. but there but there've been there've been at least one time that I can remember that I that I didn't do a, a proper pre flight. Oh, and and did something happen on that time? You didn't do a proper fleet well, pre-flight. Yeah, we've we've talked about it before, but um, yeah, I forgot about that. Do do tell, please. <laughs> Everybody <laughs> loves crash stories, right? Absolutely. So, yeah, um, I had acquired a, a an airplane from a friend um, that was fuel soaked, and we can we can talk about uh, fuel soaked airframes and how to bring them back to life, if you will, uh, some other time, but. I had acquired this. It's a Pika Duelist, if anybody listening knows what that is. It's a twin-engined uh, pattern plane, pattern-type plane. So it's very smooth, very fast, um, kind of a precision aerobatic kind of a design, you know, from the 70s. Um, and I think Pika made the kit even into the 80s. But either way, got this airplane from a friend, and it was fuel-soaked. So I, I took the airplane, completely stripped it, uh, treated the airframe, uh, put it back, you know, recovered it, put it back together over the course of a winter. Mm-hmm. Uh, this was uh, quite a while ago. I was a college student, so it took some time, uh, and it wasn't cheap, you know, covering is expensive, and, you know, you got to replace batteries and things like that. And I didn't, I don't recall, but I don't think I got the engines with the airframe, so I had to, you know, buy engines, things like that. Uh, but anyway, um, when I reinstalled the radio, 
I just assumed that I put everything back exactly the way it came out. You know, the right <laughs> aileron servo was in the right panel. The left aileron servo was in the left panel. I had the, you know, I had the, you know, the control linkages on the inside or the outside, whatever it happened to be, S assumed that I had put everything back exactly the way it came out. So in theory, it should have been perfect, right? Because it mm -hmm. flew fine, you know, when I got it. Which, by the way, I had, I had flown that airplane previously. So, yeah, I spent all that time putting it back together, took it to the field, um, you know, and <laughs> friends watching, you know, because I was, <laughs> had been working on this thing all winter, uh -huh. and, you know, met some friends at the field who were also flying. Um, and they were excited because it looked really cool. It was a beautiful airplane. And I fired everything up, ran the engines up, tuned them so that they were in sync and, and twin engine. Mm -hmm. uh, and I neglected, I did not do a proper pre-flight. I mean, I ran the throttles up. That was good. It had retractable gear and I had tested the gear up and down on the bench at home. And not one time did I ever really think, even in the, in the reconstruction phase, did I think to check that the ailerons were moving the correct direction or the elevator or the rudder. Not one time, because mm -hmm. I just assumed, you know. So I'm at the field, and I'm ready to take off, and, you know, a little bit of nerves. You know, it's a, it's kind of a maiden. You know, even though the airplane used to fly, it's, it's, it's been deconstructed and reconstructed, right? Well, even if not, when it's new to you and rebound to your transmitter and stuff. Well, this it's is pretty before much, the days of being well, rebound. When it's reconnected, because <laughs> you're right, I guess that would be the, the FM days. Right. But it's still a good idea to sure. check it is. everything everything when you first fly an airplane and that's kind or of even as you're putting it together i mean i i didn't do any of that well i mean i i almost consider it a maiden when you just get an airplane yourself oh, okay because yes. somebody else might have flown it but it's right. set up completely different now that you have it right. unless you bought it exactly how they had it right you know? right if you got the same transmitter from them then i guess it's not really a maiden but anytime it's on a new transmitter right. new electronics yeah this, this was a, it was a, all the internal electronics were, um, I got with the airframe and all I had to do was plug my receiver in. Uh, okay. So at the time, I mean, and it was, you know, it was a JR to JR. So everything should move the same direction from <laughs> JR to anyway. So I'm ready to take off and Randy and, you know, everything's running good and a little bit of nerves. And luckily this particular field, um, many, many moons ago, very, very long field. Um, and had paved runways, oh, uh, crisscrossing nice. runways. So a lot of room to fix anything should, you know, something happen. you know, you don't, you have an engine out or whatever. There's plenty of room at this place. So I taxi out and I go taxi to the complete end of the, I mean, we're talking like a 25, 30 second long taxi out to the. <laughs> Feels like forever. If, yeah. I don't know if it was because of nerves or if I was trying to, you know, trying not to. I wanted to put on a show or whatever. But anyway, I get to the end of the field and I'm, you know, running the throttles up and man, this thing just rockets down the runway. I mean, just engines were screaming. They were perfectly tuned. You know, it was one of those picture perfect takeoffs. You know, it's just right about, you know, in front of me, it, it kind of rotates and it lifts off and it's, it's just climbing out so nice and beautiful. I start to throttle back because it's, you know, gaining some speed and I don't really want to fly it around at full throttle on this first flight, you know, and then I go to make a turn and, you know, it happened so fast. Looking back on it, it happened so fast and I had no time to react, but because this thing was, was hauling. Mm -hmm. 
And I go to make, I believe it was a left-hand turn. I was going to do a left-hand pattern, you know, get everything trimmed and then bring it back in and check everything. So I go to make a left turn and the thing, you know, starts rolling like violently <laughs> to the right. And, you know, looking back, I should have, you know, reduced the throttle a little bit more. And obviously, you know, I should have realized right off that the ailerons were backwards, but I didn't. And the thing rolled and rolled. I mean, it rolled. It was still rolling when it hit the ground. Um, and I managed to pull the throttles back to idle before it crashed. Uh-huh. But uh, yeah, it was a it was a kit again. Wow. When it, when it was done, yeah, I took it home. For the longest time, I had this bucket, this plastic, just a pail, you know, two gallon mm-hmm. pail, whatever. Sure. And that was my duelist bucket because that's what I had in the car that day. I used it to keep, you know, car washing supplies in. Mm-hmm. And that's what I collected all the parts in for that airframe. <laughs> yeah, when it was all done. So I had a duelist bucket and that sat in my closet for a really, really long time because I couldn't bring myself Didn't to buy another one. To get rid of it. Yep. No, that's too bad. And all do to a neglect of a pre-flight. Had yeah. I done a proper pre-flight, I mean, who knows? That airplane might still be flying today. That, and I've got some old airplanes, but... Literally that half second yeah. of checking the aileron could have yeah. saved the yeah. whole thing. Saved everything. Yeah. It's a, a tough lesson learned, but I bet yeah. you haven't forgotten to do one since I don't then. think I have. Yeah. Um, I mean, I'm sure that there's times I've been, you know, in a rush or whatever, but I, I try to I try to do it every single time. Even if... Even if I've flown that airplane previously the same day, uh, oh, absolutely. I'll do it yep. again. Just because you just never know. Yeah, it's pre-flight. So anytime you land and take off, especially if the battery's been taken out, if you've turned anything right. off, yeah, you always make sure that everything is moving the way it's supposed to, moving freely and, yep. and ready to go. And once you get in the habit, folks, it really, I mean, it takes no time at all. Yeah, it's got to be, what, three seconds. or four seconds at most. Yeah. Yeah, because yeah, you get in, you know, you'll get into a rhythm of of doing it, and then anytime you do it from that point on, if something's not right, you pick it out just like that, yep. and then you fix it. So, yeah. very very important. Don't don't neglect it, and get in the habit of doing it every single time. Yeah. So that is what you do when you you know are at the field and you're you're flying an airplane. So what else would you check at the beginning of the flying year? Oh. Yeah, so like annually, like sure. a, like, like a an, preseason like kind an of an annual checkup. Yeah, like an annual checkup. Yeah, yeah. I, I so I I check all of that, you know, pretty much a pre-flight, and then me personally, um, I check everything on the airframe. You know, first and foremost, um, batteries. Uh, batteries over winter, you know, sometimes I'm not really good about storing them on a storage charge or or what have you or if they're a nickel metal hydride, you know, repeaking them so often or whatever. I'm really terrible about neglecting my batteries over the winter. Right. Me too. And we do have a winter here where we live. We do have a winter where we can't fly. Yeah. It's just simply too cold. So the first thing I'll check, you know, before the flying season is all my batteries, like all of them. Nickel metal hydrides, lithium polymers, lithium ions, whatever you're using, check them all. And check them according to the manufacturer's recommendations. Right. Um, myself, nickel metal hydrides, I've got a really great charger. Um, it's a little older, but it's, it does a great job. It, it will cycle the packs, and it will cut them off at a safe voltage, and then it will give me a readout of the estimated capacity of that battery pack. And if that's not pretty close to the rated capacity of the battery, 
I just replace it. Or I'll use it for a bench test battery or what have you. Yeah. So on mine, when you do it, like I can charge and discharge up to six times, like six cycles without oh, any, yeah, yeah. without putting hands on it. Um, and then I'll, I don't, like I said, I don't know how yours works, but mine will tell you at the end how many uh, uh, milliamp hours it mm -hmm. put in, yep. then how many it took out, yep. how many it put in, how many it took out. And those oh, for each be, cycle. Wow. Oh, yeah. For okay. each cycle, you can go through and see. Oh, I uh, thought, I thought, okay. No, yeah, it's, cool. it's yeah, it's for each cycle. So, and and you can tell like on batteries when they're a little bit older uh, that haven't been charged for a while, those numbers get to be a lot closer together towards the end of the charge cycles. Oh, okay. So you might be, you know, if you're a two thousand milliamp hour battery, you might be putting in fifteen hundred, taking out a thousand towards the end of that cycle. You mm -hmm. know, you might be putting in eighteen hundred and taking out seventeen hundred. Oh, okay. So you can tell that it's kind of bringing it back to life. Yeah. And as long as you're you're taking out close to what you're putting in, then you know you have a pretty good battery still. Yeah. And then I also check it under draw to make sure it's not, you know, right. dropping voltage and, and that with yeah. our checkers too. I've got, yeah. And most most uh, folks that fly with a lot of uh, LiPo power stuff, they should in their field box or whatever they take with them, you know, when they're flying, should have a one of those load testers. They're cheap. They're easy to get. You plug it into your LiPo battery and it, usually they, they give you a percentage, I think. The one I have... When you plug it in, it pops up a percentage of, you know. Yeah, for lipos, the one I have tells you the actual voltage per cell. Nice. I don't yeah. do the, I don't have my one that, or the one that does the percentage. Yeah. But I'm talking about the nickel metal hydride ones. Oh, okay. So I still do yep, a, a, I do too. a load charge on that too, yeah. or a load <laughs> test on that to see what the. What I still the have, I still use to. my, uh, my uh, Tower Hobbies way back in the day. Uh, it's an analog gauge. <laughs> well, it works, just but it fine. works. It puts Absolutely. a load on the batteries, and it yeah. gives, and there's a, like a you know a range that's green. Yeah. Um, it also has numbers you know printed on the dial, but yeah. um, I still use that to this green, day. Green, yellow, and red. And you know what? It has never failed me. No, every those, time, every yeah. time that I've checked a battery, and it hasn't been in that green range or well into that green range, I haven't flown, and I've never, I have not lost a airplane due to a dead battery. Yeah, that's good. So. No. It's important to keep those changed. Yeah. If you keep up on your equipment, you won't have the failures that you do if you don't. Yep. So, so yeah. So the annual pre or the preseason uh, checkup—that's the first thing I do—is the batteries. Um, and and then, that's usually not in the plane for all of them either. I mean, you can take those out pretty easily no. and charge them. No. <laughs> no, you should absolutely take take them out of the airplane to do that. Okay. Um, yeah, lipos you don't keep in a plane, but I mean, I understand like some of the well, I keep, NIMH so. <laughs> and stuff. And also like for us that fly gasoline, you're going to have two sets of batteries too. Right. So I understand that that's going to be a little bit more difficult to get to, to take out. Yeah. But If you can't take them out of the airplane, at least unplug them at the very minimum. What do you mean? Well, so. Like at the end of the year or? Well, you should unplug them, you know, between flights and after flights and things right. like that. But for winter... Um, I, I do know, you know, several people that, you know, have either forgotten and left them plugged in. Oh. Yeah, I've turned the switch off, so it's good, right? Well, maybe. There's still a little bit you of know, a draw that the, can there's be. Probably, yeah. yeah, there's probably some draw there. But it, if you can't take them out of the... I'm terrible. Like, I leave all my batteries in the airplane. I unplug them all, right? Yeah. But I, I do. I'm, I'm terrible about that. Mostly because I don't have a lot of room where my stuff is stored and, you know, trying to wrestle around a 50cc airplane in my little tiny basement to get the batteries yeah. out can be kind of a challenge sometimes. Yeah, so I, I leave them in. Um, but on my LiPos and lithium ions and things like that, I do make sure that my, my charger has a cool feature. And I think most do 
it'll take them up to the storage charge or yeah. take them down to a storage charge. Depending yeah. on. So I do that and I check them, you know, kind of regular throughout the winter. But um, yes, it's a, it's a, it would be a very good idea, especially with the lithium batteries to get them out of the airframes and put them in a, a you know, a battery bag or box or one of those safe boxes or whatever. Well, and that's especially true if you're not storing them in a basement or if you're not storing them somewhere that's climate controlled. Right. Because the heat and the cold, more so the heat, heat. is really yeah. bad on, on batteries. Yeah. So. Yeah. That's a good point. Um, the The storage of the batteries is, is very important. I should have hit on that too. Um, any lithium style battery, lithium ions, lithium polymers, lithium, uh, what's the other one? Iron, whatever they are. Yeah. Store them in a safe, one of those, you know, battery box or a battery bag. Something that will protect everything around it should that battery go off. Yeah, um, that's yeah. And that that's should more of that. that's more of an issue with lipos than anything else. Right. Yeah. Actually, I keep my lipos in the refrigerator. Oh. Um, hmm. I don't know if that's the best way to do it, but I I remember being told that um, you know, high thirties, low forties is a good temperature to keep them, hmm. and okay. low humidity is very yeah. good for them also. So okay. the I mean the only place I have in the house that's always that temperature and low humidity is going to be the refrigerator and we have multiple fridges so it's not like it's our main one in the <laughs> right, right. in the yeah. in the living room or in the kitchen sorry yeah. it's out in the garage but still yeah we're not saying store your batteries next to the grapes in the fridge <laughs> no, so, no no you but, know but yeah that's where i keep mine yeah at least a battery safe uh device um ammo yeah. cans are great for that actually so yeah but yeah anyway that so you know the batteries that'll be the first thing i check uh, and then uh, I'll go kind of over the airframe and just make sure that, you know, all the hardware is still tight. Mm-hmm. Um, make sure that there's nothing bent, you know, like landing gear or, or you know, push rods, anything like that. Um, you know, just kind of look it over, give it a once over, make sure uh, that nothing obvious is uh, standing out. And then I always like to, to, you know, check the balance on all my props uh, in the spring before I start flying. Um, vibration is a, is a, terrible thing does weird things to electronics um sets up weird harmonics and you never know what sort of you know rf noise you know something metal on metal rubbing in the air in the airframe vibrating what that kind of signal that puts out so check check the prop balance so you do that on every plane before you fly it in the summer then yep I, the I mean i i try to um, yeah there's airplanes that i know i'm not gonna fly that summer so i'll I'll leave them alone. Well, yeah. But on the air fl- on the airplanes that I know I'm going to fly uh, for sure, uh, I will, you know, pull the prop off. It it doesn't take long, and you know if you, I like airplanes. I like tinkering, so right. it's kind of one excuse I have to tinker with my airplanes. And what like what uh, what size propellers do you do? Because obviously, oh, any I check them all. Anything, even the like five inch little electric ones. Well, those are more difficult to balance, right? Right. Because uh, the balancers, you know, they maybe not, the rollers aren't smooth or if you're using a magnetic balancer, you know, the, those things, it takes forever to balance a prop with those. But <clears throat> yeah, I, I try to balance as many of them as I can. Okay. Um, even on the small electric ones, an out of balance propeller is just no fun at all. And they sound terrible, if yeah. you ask me. <laughs> yeah, it does have a weird... Um harmonic to it i guess buzz oh, or buzz. Yeah, whatever yeah. you want to call it yeah um but yeah I, I i try to check all of them 
And the bigger the prop, the the more important it is, you know, because you don't certainly don't want an out of balance prop on a big fifty cc, you know, airplane because that's just no good for anybody. Or or one hundred and seventy cc. Or yeah, <laughs> yeah. I don't have I anything gotcha. quite that big, but I gotcha. Yeah. Um, and then the next thing, you know, is uh, what better? You know, you're already going to have the the propeller off to balance it. You may as well go over the, the engine just once if it's a nitro or a gasser. Um, Look it over, you know, make sure there's no weird, uh, like, uh, was it last, may have been last summer, there was, uh, I had an airplane that had a, had a weird, um, what's the word I'm looking for, like this sooty, black, oily drip, like underneath where it sat all winter. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I, upon further investigation, you know, once I had the prop off, I looked at the engine and sure enough, I had a, a crankcase, a front crankcase bearing that was leaking. Oh, uh, and on a nitro plane, that that can wreak havoc because it allows air into the mixture, and you know the air the engine doesn't run like it's supposed to. So, I found that on the you know on the annual checkup while the prop was off, so I had a look at the engine, and then that's where I noticed where it was coming from. So, and that's a good time to find problems. Yes. not when you're at the field trying to start it, trying to figure out why it doesn't why it run. Why doesn't run right? Yeah, after you've taken all the time to get stuff ready and and hold out to the field, it, it's good to have a decent plane that's been checked before you head out. Right. And even electrics with the prop off, you know, if you grab the electric motor and kind of turn it a little bit by hand, you'll be able to feel, you know, the strength of the magnets, you know, or if there's a bearing maybe hanging up. Yeah. You'll start to feel a weird, like almost like a grittiness to it. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, So, you know, it's a good time to to do all that, you know, with the motor or an, or a gasser. Uh, And then, you know, if, if we're, if we're dealing with nitro or gas, this would be a good time to, to look at the tank and the lines. Uh, make sure the clunk is, you know, free to move about inside the tank. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of gassers over time, that Tigon fuel tubing will get, like, stiff over yeah. time. It'll and dry so out. The, yeah, and so when the airplane's upside down, the clunk is still stuck at the bottom of the tank, which is now right so the top wrong the, side yeah. up. And now it's running out of fuel when every mm-hmm. time you go upside down, that's no fun. Yeah. So, yeah, check over the tank, you know, make sure the seam on the tank, every tank, or not every tank, most tanks are plastic and they're molded in two pieces and there's a seam usually and those seams, you know, over time can, you know, separate or whatever and develop leaks. So this would be a good time to kind of check that. Well, and the other thing with the fuel lines too is if they do dry out and they get brittle, when you're flying with all the vibrations from just flying in general. From an imbalanced from propeller. From an imbalanced propeller, <laughs> right. Just from a nitro engine right, or a gasoline engine, they all have vibrations built into them. Absolutely. Just because of how they run. Yep. But that is a, a bad time to have your, your fuel tank or your fuel lines fail on you. Right. So well, it's, it's not a bad idea to replace those every year to every two years anyway. Yeah. Tigon fuel tubing is relatively cheap. Yeah. So And, and you don't, it also gives you another reason to tinker with your airplane. Yeah, and you don't have to have a lot of it. I mean, it's not no. like you're buying six feet right. for an airplane. You're yep. under a foot for most of them. Although you do have to be careful. You don't want to buy too much Tigon. You buy just enough to do whatever project you're Because oh, right. I've discovered that... Um, so a while back I bought, I think 12 feet or whatever. And I had all this Tigon tubing that I wasn't using. And so I coiled it up and stuck it on my, on my little peg hook thing downstairs. And wouldn't you know it, it stiffened up even just not being exposed to fuel. Yeah. So it still dries out. It just still does. Yeah. So, you know, buy enough to do your project, but you really don't need to stock up on 50 feet of Tigon tubing just because it's on sale at Lowe's. <laughs> yeah. It, it doesn't <laughs> last all that long. Right. So... So yeah, um, you know, they're, um, 
a lot of folks that store their their planes, you know, in a garage or out in a in a shed or you know, not even a, even a trailer outside, yeah. Or yeah, in a trailer outside. Well, we'll get to that. <laughs> um, but something that's a very real thing here in the Midwest are, are mud daubers, which I don't. If you don't know what that is, it's a, it's basically a wasp that builds a nest out of mud, and they like to build their nests someplace cozy, someplace close and cramped. And I, I have seen this before where uh, folks have stored their planes out in a garage and mud daubers have actually built their nest like in an exhaust outlet of a muffler or the carburetor of the engine. Uh, or even if it's in the airframe uh, and you don't see it, well, first of all, it's a nasty surprise when you go to start your airplane and all these wasps come out of it. Mm-hmm. But it's also, you know, with vibration, you know, because we didn't balance our propellers, it knocks these things loose. And then you got this mud dauber thing nest going through bouncing the engine around, if it's, if it's well, in or the bouncing around inside the airframe. Yeah. And, you know, poking a hole in your covering or whatever. So check over the airframe and the, and the engine and all the openings and stuff and make sure you don't have something like that, especially if you store your airplane in a garage or otherwise outside of the house. Yeah. So, and then, uh, and then, yeah, the last thing kind of I'll look over is the, is the condition of the covering. Um, you know, that's, that's kind of why I'm recovering the airplane over here. I noticed here at the end of last season that she wasn't looking too pretty. And there was a couple of seams that were coming loose and was fuel soaked underneath and it just couldn't iron them down anymore. So that's something you want to catch before you fly. Cause I can tell you a wing without covering doesn't develop much lift. <laughs> no, it'll it'll come off and you'll have a crash for sure, which also can be checked or can be uh, avoided by doing a, a proper pre-flight exactly. and checking it every year. So that's right. Yep. Yeah, you you kind of get out of it what you put into it. If you spend the time to make sure what you're flying is correct, you won't have the issues that you would if you don't. Yep. So that's really about all I have. I mean, I'll, I'll go over all of those items on my on my annual checkup and uh, hope I don't find any nasty surprises the first time I'm flying. Yeah. Um, kind of going back to when we were talking about the trailers and you alluded to the, the issues. So that's, yeah. uh, that's I'll let on, you tell that. Yeah, that's on me. I won't get into it too much, but uh, just know that my trailer had uh, a bit of a leak over the winter, come to find out, uh, that I didn't catch in time. So I would say I lost probably three airplanes uh, due to the wood swelling and warping, warping, they just they don't like to be wet. Right. Um, one or two I could probably rebuild, but they weren't ones I was all that excited about. So I don't know if I will or not. I'll probably just pull electronics off that I can save from it and and go from there. So yeah, yeah be careful with your your trailers. Yeah, yeah. If you store if you store anything in a trailer, um, especially through the summer months. Um, at least here in the Midwest and anywhere else that there might happen to be humidity, um, check those things often. Get in there and make sure because I mean the first sign is corroded hardware. Yeah, you know a lot of the hardware is steel on these things and steel you know turns to rust. So usually you can tell if you if you're in a in a bad situation. The first thing you'll notice is rusty hardware. There we go. Lesson learned. Mm-hmm. We spend so much time and, and energy and money on these things. You know, let's do do everything we can to take care of them. Yeah, and you're right. Try to fly them for many, many years. Make them last longer, take care of them for your and kids. And you can do that by not crashing them and preventing crashes with a proper pre-flight. Yeah. So everybody, pre-flight check every single flight. Anything else? No, I think that I think that about covers it. Um, you know, we've gone over what uh, what you should look for in a pre-flight check, you know, how to perform one. 
Um, Ron's going to hopefully post a handy-dandy checklist on the website. Yeah, so check us out there. And uh, until next time, I'm Ron. All right, I'm Tom. Thanks, bye. See you. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the RC Plane Lab podcast. For topic suggestions, to ask questions, or to give any feedback, connect with us at rcplanelab.com or email us direct at either ron at rcplanelab.com or tom at rcplanelab.com. You can also text us or leave us a voicemail at 818-351-9846. Please subscribe, rate, and review us on your favorite podcast app. Until next time, may your landings be gentle.